Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The poem says, Human voices wake us and we drown. But I've made this podcast with the belief that human voices are what we need. And so whether from a year or 3,000 years ago, whether poetry or prose, whether fiction or diary or biography, here are the best things we have ever thought, written, or said. We are back with uh, Peter Ackroyd tonight, and this comes from Volume 3 of his History of England. This is Chapter 6, called The Vapors. And it's just a handful of pages where he uses uh, two sources to just give a snapshot of what life was like in the early 17th century in London. And this is what it sounds like. The most colorful and compelling account of early Jacobean London can be found in The Seven Deadly Sins of London, published in 1607. It is a work little more than a pamphlet written by Thomas Decker, in a period of seven days with all the vivacity and immediacy of swift composition. Decker himself was a playwright and pamphleteer of obscure life and uncertain reputation, but in these respects he does not differ from most writers of that time. He announces to the city that, quote, from thy womb received I my being, from thy breasts my nourishment, end quote. In which case, London must be judged a harsh nurse or mother. He complains that of all cities it is, quote, the wealthiest, but the most wanton. Thou hast all things in thee to make thee fairest, and all things in thee to make thee foulest, end quote. At the time of King James I accession, it had been the, quote, only gallant and minion of the world, but hadst in a short time more diseases than a common harlot hath hanging upon thee, end quote. He paints the scene of the capital at midday where, and here's a long quotation from Thomas Decker, where in every street carts and coaches make such a thundering as if the world ran on wheels, At every corner, men, women, and children meet in such shoals that posts are set up of purpose to strengthen the houses, lest with jostling one another they should shoulder them down. Besides, hammers are beating in one place, tubs hooping in another, pots clinking in a third, water tankards running in a tilt in a fourth. Here are porters sweating under burdens, There, merchants' men bearing bags of money, chapmen, as if they were at leapfrog, skip out of one shop and into another, while tradesmen, as if they were dancing galliards, are lusty at legs 
and never stand still. All are as busy as country attorneys at an assizes. End quote. Yet the city takes on a different aspect at night. Decker has a vision of London by candlelight, the companion quote for drunkards, for lechers, and for prodigals. This was a time when, quote, mercers rolled up their silks and velvets, the goldsmiths drew back their plate, and all the city looked like a private playhouse when the windows are clapped down, as if some nocturnal or dismal tragedy were presently to be acted before all the tradesmen, end quote. The bankrupt and felon had kept indoors for fear of arrest, but at night, quote, they began now to creep out of their shells and to stalk up and down the streets as uprightly and with as proud a gait as if they meant to knock against the stars with the crowns of their heads. The prosperous citizen who in the day, quote, looked more sourly on his poor neighbors than he had drunk a quart of vinegar at a draught, now sneaks out of doors and slips into a tavern, where either alone or with some other that battles their money together, they so ply themselves with penny pots of ale, that at length they have not an eye to see withal, not a good leg to stand upon, end quote. They reel into the night, have an altercation with a post on the way, and end up in the gutter. Their apprentices, despite the oath of their indentures, quote, make their desperate sallies out, and quick retires in with their pints, end quote. The three nocturnal pursuits of the city are drinking, dancing, and dicing. The prose of Thomas Decker is crisp, strenuous, and elliptical. He observes the Londoners at a bookstall in St. Paul's churchyard, quote, looking scurvily, like mules chomping upon thistles, on the face of a new book, be it never so worthy, and they go as ill-favoredly mewing away, end quote. He notices the fact that the brothels of London have painted posts before them, and that their keepers always swerve, stewed, always serve, stewed prunes to their customers. He reports that the lattices for the windows of the alehouses are painted red. He observes the hackney men of Coleman Street, the butchers of Aldgate, and the brokers of Houndsditch. The dress of a Londoner, quote, is like a trader's body that hath been hanged, drawn, and quartered, and is set up in several places. His codpiece is in Denmark, the color of his doublet and the belly in France, the wing and narrow sleeve in Italy. The short waist hangs over a Dutch butcher's stall in Utrecht. His huge slops, which are hose for the legs, speaks Spanish. Polonia gives him his boots, end quote. It is a typical complaint concerning London's variegated and international fashions. Decker also observes the disagreeable habits of other citizens. He alludes to the various, quote, tobacconists, shuttlecock makers, feather makers, cobweb lawn weavers, perfumers, as manifesting the qualities of apishness, 
Each one is a, quote, fierce, dapper fellow, more light-headed than a musician, as fantastically attired as a court jester, wanton in discourse, lascivious in behavior, jocund in good company, nice in his trencher, and yet he feeds very hungrily on scraps of song, end quote. Thomas Decker abhors the common practice of marrying a young bride to a rich old man, quote, though his breath be ranker than a muckhill, and his body more dry than a mummy, and his mind more lame than ignorance itself. He complains about London landlords, quote, who for the building up of a chimney, which stands them not above thirty shillings, and for whiting the walls of a tenement, which is scarce worth the daubing, they raise the rent presently, as if it were new put into the subsidy books, assessing it at three pounds a year more than ever it went before. This has all the bitterness of personal experience. Welcome to the world of Jacobean London. Greed and avarice were also much on the mind of another Londoner, the playwright Ben Jonson's Bartholomew Fair was first performed in Hope Playhouse at the end of October 1614. It was a long play of some three hours, and it began at two in the afternoon. On that stage, the essence of London was quittified. The Hope, the uh, capital H Hope, was also used for bear baiting, the Hope Playhouse was used for bear-baiting, on which occasions the stage was removed, and in the induction, Johnson compares the theater to the venue of the fair itself, quote, the place being as dirty as Smithfield, and as stinking every whit. The stench of the dead or dying animals from the bear-baitings still lingered. The hazel nutshells and apple cores might not have been swept away, the play Bartholomew Fair has the soul and substance of the Jacobean city somewhere within it. Its characters are the flesh and bone of London, in which all the people are merely players. And uh, as an aside here, if you have a chance to look at or listen to for a long time, I never read the book, I only heard the audio version of it, of Peter Aykroyd's book, uh, his biography of Shakespeare, you will see that one of his favorite things to mention is that very often uh, the stages where the plays were performed or the nearby, you could say the nearby stages to where the plays were performed usually included scenes of bear baiting and such brutality as that. And that says something about London and the English character, so Ackroyd would say, that you could take in the high poetry, it was high poetry even then, of Shakespeare, and only a little while away, or only a few hours before, take in a bit of bear baiting. He goes on to say about Ben Jonson's play, Canvas booths have been erected on the stage to give a simulacrum of the fair. A character comes on, and is soon joined by another, and then another, until a concourse of citizens is visible. They jeer, they swear, they laugh, they fight, they are obscene, they piss, they vomit, they cheat one another. A couple of them burst into song, 
Various plots and stories emerge, only to fall back into the swelling tumult of the fair. Prostitutes and cut purses rub against the ballad singers and tapsters. Some of the characters adopt disguise, but in the end their true identities are revealed and their pretensions crossed or crushed. All authority, all authority is reviled. That is the way of the city. There is no real power except that of money, and no real considerations other than those of aggression and appetite. And you want to wonder whether those sentences were written in 1614 or in 2021. Uh, there is no real power except that of money and no real considerations other than those of aggression and appetite. Bless me, someone calls out. Deliver me, help me, hold me, the fair. Mouse traps and gingerbread, purses and pouches, dolls and puppies, all are for sale. What do you lack, gentlemen? What is it you buy? All the world's affair. Buy any new ballads? New ballads? A puppet show brings a conclusion to the play that has revealed London to be a panoply and a pageant, a prison and a carnival. One of the guardian spirits of the fair is named Ursula, the fat seller of ale and a roast pig, who is also a part-time bawd. And here we hear uh, a few lines from Ursula. I am all fire and fat, Nightingale. I shall e'en melt away to the first woman, a rib again, I'm afraid. I do water the ground and knots as I go, like a great garden pot. You may follow me by the S's I make. And she has this to say as well. You look as you were begotten atop a cart in harvest time, when the whelp was hot and eager. Go snuff after your brother's bitch, mistress commodity. In the words of the play, Peter Ackroyd says, she has a hot coal in her mouth. The other great character of the fair is Johnson's parody of a Puritan, zeal of the land busy. And this is a few words from that character, the, Pur the Puritan. Look not towards them, hearken not. The place is Smithfield, or the field of smiths, the grove of hobby horses and trinkets. They are hooks and baits, very baits, that are hung out on every side to catch you, and to hold you, as it were, by the gills and by the nostrils, as the fisher doth do. He turns out to be, of course, an errant voluptuary and a hypocrite, amply confirming the suspicions that some people conceived of the godly and the pious in this period, as well as in the 20th century, 21st century. Johnson had said that he wished to present, quote, deeds and language such as men do use, end quote. He knew of what he wrote. By his own report, he was, quote, brought up poorly, in London, and when his mother took a second husband, a master bricklayer, the small family moved to a house in a lane off the Strand. He attended an elementary school in the neighborhood before Westminster School, and may have been about to attend college at Cambridge. Shortage of funds, however, did not permit the move. Instead, he took up his stepfather's business of bricklaying, in which trade he labored intermittently for some years. He later saw service in the Low Countries and, on his return to London, entered the world of the theatre. 
So he was a child of the city, and his play Bartholomew Fair is his tribute to its teeming life. Here are your, quote, pretenders to wit, your three cranes, mitre and mermaid men, end quote. These three taverns were the haunt of the poetasters and men of supposed good taste. Moorfield's Pimlico Path, or the Exchange, are also mentioned a few moments later as places of resort for tired Londoners. In the puppet play at the close of the proceedings, the myth of Hero and Leander is set in the city. And here is a quotation from that part of the play. As for the Hellespont, I imagine our Thames here, and then Leander I make a dyer's son about Puddle Wharf, and Hero a wench of the bankside, who going over one morning to Old Fish Street, Leander spies her hand at Trigg Stairs. It is remarkable, Peter Ackroyd says, that ordinary Londoners were supposed to be wholly familiar with the old story of Hero and Leander, I believe from Greek myth, and perhaps that was from Marlowe's poem, which had been published 16 years earlier, and you might say it is remarkable that ordinary Londoners would remember Marlowe's poem from 16 years earlier. Many of the play's allusions are lost to us, and many of the words are now strange or unfamiliar. A hobby horse was a prostitute, an undermeal was a light snack, to stale, S-T-A-L-E, was to urinate. When one character discloses that we were all a little stained last night, he means that they were drunk. Whimsies were the female genitalia. A diet drink was medicine. A Catholic recusant was derided as a seminary. The visitors to the fair often refer to vapor or vapors that can mean anything or nothing. To vapor is to talk nonsense or to brag. A vapor is a frenzy or a passing mood or a mad conceit of the town. In the popular game of vapors, each participant had to deny that which the previous speaker had just said. London, Peter Ackroyd says, seethed with the vapors. And he quotes another line from Ben Jonson's play. Faith, and to any man that vapor me the lie, I do vapor that. And Peter Ackroyd ends the chapter by saying this. It is, in a sense, like watching a foreign world, except there are still flashes of recognition and understanding. But then, once more, we are part of the Jacobean city. Any comments or suggestions for readings I should make in future episodes can be emailed to Human Voices Wake Us, the number one, at gmail.com. Links to each work used in this episode can be found in the episode description. If you enjoy Human Voices Wake Us, you can subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. The music here is Duke Ellington's Arabesque Cookie.